listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, it's always exciting when there's new life in the room. And uh, Ezra's here for the first Sunday. Where Tyler and where did Tyler and Sprint? Okay, over here. You already took him out. No, he's there. Okay, okay. Um, but Ezra's here for his first Sunday, and so we're excited. Um, for new life and church growth that way. We had the renowned conference uh, Friday and Saturday for our students, and the subject was the gospel. And so the kids got uh, a real steady diet of what the Bible says the gospel is and how we flesh that out in a lot of different ways. And at the end of it, one of our students uh, came and uh, professed faith in Christ. And so we're excited about that and praise the Lord for that. And you'll be hearing more um, about that. And then as you walked in this morning, there's a, uh, there's this, this uh, track on your seat called The Story. There's a card inside of that. Um, we, what we want you to do is, is find uh, somebody on your mind, on your heart, that you would like to invite for Easter Sunday. You know, a lot of people in our culture just naturally, normally go to church on Easter Sunday. So we're trying to, in some small way, just piggyback on what's already going on out there, what's already on people's minds. And hopefully you can cross paths with somebody, somebody that you can pray for, somebody that you could uh, give the story to, somebody that you could invite to be here on Easter Sunday. We are excited about that kind of new life as well. There are people that are trying to figure out what's going on in the world. And we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Folks, we have the answer. In a world full of darkness, people are saying, what's going on? And those who know Christ should stand up and say, Jesus is the light of the world. In a world full of lies, we should point people to Christ who is the truth. We should point them to his word and it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be rejected. And uh, the media and all that's coming at us is fighting against that. But we're all about new life. And so let me encourage you to, to take this and pray over it. Um, I, 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 I sort of get a test of my leadership. Let me, let me try to, I guess, maybe shame you into taking that card this morning, okay? I sort of get a test of my leadership when I make announcements like that and ask you to do that. And then I walk through and see that every seat's got a card on it. They're down on the floor. Um, would you please um, fulfill um, the call of Christ? God uses our witness to bring people to himself. So may, may your heart settle on someone or some people and you be so burdened for them that you would pray for their salvation and that you would reach out to them with the printed word, the good news of the gospel and share that with them. So, a new life. We're in Luke chapter 12 this morning, and I don't know what your week has been like. Um, for me, it's been one of those weeks. Has anybody else had one of those weeks? Um, just, just for me, and I, I don't want to embarrass my wife, but I will embarrass myself. We just had a falling out about midday Monday, 
and we couldn't find, I think, I think she took our white flags to the dry cleaners. I don't know. But we just, we just couldn't find them, right? Um, you know what I mean by white flag. I tell every couple in premarital counseling, you need to keep a white flag in your pocket. The white flag is I surrender, and there just wasn't no surrender for about uh, 48 to 72 hours between us. You know, when you only speak to each other on a need-to-speak basis, which the words are very limited. You know, I'm just like, fix my lunch, woman, and not, not really. <laughs> Not really. I didn't, I didn't do that. But, but, but I, I will be honest with you. It, it, was, it was stressful. And it was painful. Right? Um, it's no fun. We make light of it in retrospect. But life is real. And life is a struggle. Um, and then we go through the week and everything's sort of, sort of good. Um, I get up this morning at 5 a.m. and I'm typing away, working on the masterpiece. And all of a sudden, my screen just goes blank. And I thought, well, my battery's died. And I, no problem. And I plugged it in, and my battery wasn't dead. There was an error, the little. And everything that I had typed this morning disappeared. And I thought, well, I, I guess I'll just quit. <laughs> I'm just going to go resign this morning and tell people, I mean, if God can't do me no better than to keep my computer going with my notes that I've typed out. And it, it was discouraging. You know, I wanted to blame my wife, but she didn't have anything to do with it. Um, I, I wanted to get mad at Apple, and um, I had to stop for a minute and say, why am I so upset? How shallow must I be? What must life be like in Ukraine? What would it be like to have a real problem? And now I've got to come up here after feeling all of that in the span of a week and a morning and talk to you about following Jesus from the text of Scripture. And so Luke is dealing with that. Um, and so I want to challenge you from wherever you are this morning, encourage you from wherever you are this morning. You, you don't have to be perfect to do what Jesus has told us to do. We can look at his word and we can start afresh and anew this morning. So Luke chapter 12 we got through last week, verse number 48 of Luke 12, and we now come to a very unique section um, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 49, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 13 and verse number 9. And here's, here's the, the big idea this morning. When we follow Christ, what ultimately matters in the future will urgently matter in the present. When we follow Christ, what, what ultimately matters in the future will urgently matter in the present. Okay? Let's read the text as we think about that. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He moves now from talking to probably his disciples to talking to the crowd, talking to the Jews, it says in verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. 
you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hands you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 6, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. And if not, you can cut it down. What do we see here? I want to take five statements that come from this text. Number one, when we follow Jesus Christ, we will be rejected. When we follow Jesus Christ, we will be rejected. Jesus says in the text, I came to throw fire on the earth. He's talking about the fire of judgment. Jesus Christ ultimately at the end of the age will come as a judge. He will not come as a baby in a manger. He will come to judge sin. So he comes to throw fire on earth, but then he talks about another baptism. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus said that there is fire, there is judgment, that is something that he will do. But when he talks about the baptism in the text, he's talking about what will be done to him. He's talking about him being baptized. So he's talking about judgment in general. There will be a time when Jesus will come and judge sinful men for their sin. But in this time that he is coming, he himself will go and experience the judgment of God. The, the cup of the wrath of God he is going to drink that cup of wrath. It will be poured out on him. So Christ has, has come to be judged for sinners, but when he comes again, Christ will come to judge sinners. So the text would call out to those who are listening, reject Christ and experience the fire of judgment. Receive Christ and experience eternal life through faith in his judgment for our sin in our place. So there is this judgment that will come and there is this baptism that he will experience. And Jesus said, I'm overwhelmed at the thought of what I'm going to face as though he would desire to hasten it. Is, it is going to be a terrible price to be paid for your sin and for 
my sin as Christ drinks that cup of wrath that he doesn't deserve to have poured out on him. The judgment of God will be poured out on him. But those who follow him, those who accept what he has done on their behalf, his punishment for our sin as opposed to waiting for God to judge to come. I'm going to risk it on my own. I'm going to take my chances and enjoy my sin while I can. I'm not going to turn to Christ. I'm not going to repent. He tells us that the day of judgment will come and we will, we will find out that the cup of God's wrath will be poured out on us. So the gospel demands a decision. This is what Jesus is doing in the text. He's gotten to this place where he's calling for a decision. He's gotten to this place where essentially Jesus is giving an invitation. And he's putting pressure on them. And he's saying, you need to respond now. You need to respond with urgency. You can't wait. You can't delay. The text makes that profoundly clear. The gospel demands a decision, but the text also tells us that the gospel incites division. When we follow Christ, we will spend the rest of our lives in, in, a, in a world that is at odds with the light of the world, that is at odds with the Prince of Peace, that is at odds with the Son of Righteousness. We will live in a world that scoffs at God's authority. Adam and Eve wanted to be free. Adam and Eve wanted to be shed of the authority of God. We live in a world that scoffs at the authority of God. We live in a world that scoffs at the authority of God's word. I would say to you today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will look to Christ. You will look to God's word. You will say, this is the authority over my life. This is what informs me. This is what instructs me. This, this word tells me how to live, how to relate to Christ, how to relate to one another. I, I would challenge you this morning. Where is your heart today? Is your heart an unconverted heart? Is your heart a heart that scoffs at God's word and consequently puts you at odds with people who follow Christ? Or are you a follower of Christ finding yourself at odds with the world that scoffs at those who believe a Bible that tells us about the very Son of God who robed himself in human flesh and came and lived among us and speaks his word to us and sends his spirit to live in us and draws us to himself in loving relationship. If we are those people, we're going to go out into a world that scoffs at God's authority. It, it, we're also going to go out into a world that scoffs at salvation's urgency because, uh, again, uh, folks, listen, we've... We're, we're not asking you to do something to make our church grow. We're asking you to do something that Christ saved you to do. It's undeniable. You've heard of the Great Commission, right? You've heard of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. You've, you've heard of the Holy Spirit coming in Acts 1-8, and we will go and then be witnesses in Judea and Samaria, uh, um, uh, all the uttermost parts of the earth, right? You, you've, you've heard that, and, and we must go and proclaim salvation's urgency. How can we be so careless and calloused as it relates to the salvation of those that we love, of our children, 
of our parents, of our spouse, of our brothers, of our sisters. So, so we, we go into a world as the people of God proclaiming good, good news, and, and the world is going to scoff at salvation's urgency. I remember one night going out visiting as, as a teenager myself and knocking on a door, and an elderly gentleman in his 80s came to the door, and he said, what are y'all doing? He said, y'all need to be out playing tennis. You don't need to be wasting your life like this. He was scoffing at us for proclaiming the urgency of salvation. The world scoffs at Christ's sufficiency. In, in other words, all I need is a, a, a man who died on a cross and was put in a tomb to be right with God. And I believe somehow the, the, these stories, by the way, that are verified by hundreds of witnesses that Christ indeed is alive. And it's also verified by the fact that the word of God does everything that it says it will do in the hearts and lives of those who believe him today in 2022. And so the world scoffs at that. The, the world scoffs at Jesus Christ, this, this pauper in the little strip of land of, of Israel, the Savior of the world, this Jew. They scoff at that. That is where salvation is found. But that's what we believe. We believe in God's authority. We believe in salvation's urgency. We believe in Christ's sufficiency. And when we go into a world or we go when we try to share Christ, or we go and we try to reach people with good news. It puts us at odds with the world. I told, um, I sent my family, I was going through a file and I found um, a letter that I had sent out when we were in Africa in, in, uh, in 1998. And we had gone to look at a house that they want us, wanted us to live in in Kabong. I'd love to show you pictures sometimes because you may think that I'm extreme and um, exaggerating when I tell you about the conditions there. Um, but we went to a house on the other side of town, and it was the Catholic side of town. And uh, the, the Catholics were, had influenced the Karamajong people, and the Karamajong people were told that we were Protestants. And they would be like, what are you protesting? And they would throw rocks at us on that side of town. And, and because they felt like that, that, that we were coming uh, with an alternative message, they, they, um, there was division. And Christ does that. Wherever you are, wherever you witness, we will be rejected. That's number one. Number two, secondly, when we follow Christ, we will be discerning. Look again at, at verse 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? What is Jesus saying? When you follow Christ, you will be discerning. He's speaking to the Jews. He's telling them, y'all are great meteorologists, but you're terrible theologians. You see, in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham to himself, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And that nation is going to be a blessing to the rest of of the world. He didn't intend for the Jewish people to bless the world with great meteorological insights. 
He didn't intend for the Jewish people to be able to look at the sky and say it's going to rain or the temperatures are going to drop or it's going to be scorching heat. He didn't bless them for that reason. You see, the Jews were able to look at the weather and tell you what was going to happen the next week in the weather, but they weren't able to look at Jesus Christ and look him in the face and, and see that the kingdom of God was standing right in front of them. So they were lacking in discernment. If we follow Christ, we will be discerning. The kingdom of heaven, the son of God, the Messiah of God is right in front of them. He's saying, be discerning. Don't miss the kingdom. Don't miss Messiah. Don't miss redemption. Don't miss God. They were the people who were given the organization in the scripture. They were the people who were given the Bible. They were the people who were given the experts. They were the people who had the, the libraries. They were the people who had the prophecies. And when Messiah walks on the scene and Jesus is doing everything that Messiah would do and he's standing right in front of them, they know more about the weather than they do the word of God. They know more about the weather than they do about their Messiah. You must be discerning if you are going to follow Christ. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of judgment and grace. We must be discerning. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to this church? Why do you go to any church? Why does anybody go to any church that they go to? Are we discerning? Are we evaluating? Are we wondering? Do we like it? Is it affirming? Is it encouraging? Is it about God's kingdom or is, is it helping me make my kingdom better? Am I just checking a box? Where is our discernment? I, I, would, I would say that if you are a part of something that is the kingdom then there will not be a focus on entertainment. You can be an attractional church and you can ask yourself what it would take to appeal to those who don't know Christ to get them in here for an event and that would make us an attractional church. But it also seems to become something that is more for the sake of entertainment as opposed to for the sake of worship. How discerning are we? If it's driven by our values for the kingdom, it will not be personality-centered. And so often we go to churches and the name that can be mentioned is the guy who stands up and talks, and that's who's being followed. It's not necessarily Christ that's being followed, but it's a person, and, and crowds will gather when the person is there, and crowds will disperse when the person is not there. We must be discerning. When it reflects his kingdom, it will not be entertaining. When it reflects his kingdom, it will not be personality-centered. When it reflects his kingdom, it will not be program-driven. When it reflects his kingdom, it will not be buying into some institution that has no life in it. 
when we are discerning and we are looking for his kingdom and the Jews were not discerning because they knew more about the weather than they did the kingdom. But we want to be discerning. We don't want to be able to necessarily know everything that's going on in the political world, although we probably know much more about at least our slice of the political pie than we should. Right? We, we're, we're exposed to so many different things through social media, through Facebook, through all of the data that's coming our way, whether it's good data, good data, bad data, true data, false data. We're, we're exposing ourselves to a blue million things, but we lack discernment as it relates to spiritual things. So when we find true spiritual life, what do we find? When we find the kingdom, what do we find? I know people would, I would, I'll I'll be honest with you. I would love to preach a good message on politics. I would. I think people have just lost their minds. I really do. Uh, I'd love to have a philosophical debate. Problem with having a philosophical debate is it would expose my ignorance pretty quick. But when I'm having a one-sided conversation, I, I can make somebody think I know something. Then you start probing a little deeper and you find out. I would love, I would love to do all of those things. But we're not, we're not called to that. We're, we're called to the kingdom. And the kingdom should have the priority. The kingdom should not just be a slice of the pie. It should be the pie. And that's where we're living. And that's what we're living for. So, so what is life like in the kingdom? If we're going to be a discerning people. We're going to be a people that, that we're going to go out into the world. We're going to be proclaiming good news. We're going to, we're going to live beneath the banner of, of the authority of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ and his power. We're going to proclaim good news to those that are lost. We're going to experience rejection. So how then can we be discerning to make sure that the thing that we are clinging to is worth being rejected for? And I would say two things about the kingdom, and I think we miss them in church. Number one, I think the kingdom will be relational. I think scripture is is abundantly clear that when we are in the kingdom of God, we have this unique and close and intimate and loving and nurturing relationship with the king. You can't read John 17 as Jesus is talking with the father And he is praying to the Father about his desire. He's talking about how he relates to the Father and how he wants us as his children to relate to him and how he wants us as his children to relate to each other. And so the kingdom is essentially a kingdom where people are called into, invited into a love relationship, a close fellowship with the Father. We are sons. We are daughters. We are children. We are heirs. We are restored. We are alive. We are hopeful. So we are invited into this party. We are invited to this joyful dance of intimacy with God the Father. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Give me something to do. Give me something to read. 
Give me something to learn. I think all of those things are necessary, but they always must grow out of our relationship. They do not, they do not, they are not the things that make us relate to the Father. The thing that makes us relate to the Father is our rest in the finished work of the Son, and then He brings us to the throne of grace where the Father welcomes us based on the accomplishments of His Son. And we go there leaving this world of being laboring and heavy laden and worried about everything and trying to figure out everything political and trying to figure out everything financial and trying to, to, to worry about inflation. We leave these things and we go into His presence and in our relationship with Him and we rest because our discernment would say that He's got it. He's in control. Whether I live or whether I die, He's got it. And I'm with you. You know, I want to load all my magazines. Some of you don't know what that means, and that's okay. You know, I want to get me a Kevlar helmet. I want to get me some combat boots. I want to load down with a, a vest and all that, and I'll be worn out by the time I got to the end of my driveway. I want to fight. But if we're discerning, we must make sure that at the heart of what we think the kingdom is, is a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. So if you want to be discerning, don't look for entertainment. Don't look for a, a, a church that's personality-driven. Don't look for a church that's program-driven. Don't look for a church just because it's part of some institution that, that you've always believed in. Look for a place where you are called into a relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And look for a place where there is an invitation into community where you can connect with other believers. Apart from connection, apart from intimate connection to other believers, you are alone and you are incomplete. But whatever was meant in the Garden of Eden before the fall, when God said, it is not good that man be alone, speaking in reference to Adam before Eve was created, whatever alone means, means incomplete. And if you want to know who you really are, listen to me, the only way you can ever know who you really are is when you are in connection to other believers who have the Spirit living in them. And that sounds like work, I know, and that sounds uncomfortable, I know, but if you're not in community and you don't have a heart connection with other believers, then you will never know who you are. And by the way, you will never know who Christ is because his spirit lives in us and flows out of us and flows into us through those that we are connected to in community. And so I just want to tell you when, when we are following Christ, we will be rejected. But when we are following Christ, we will be discerning we will be discerning and we'll, we'll not be trying to be the wisest people in the world that know everything about the world, but we want to discern the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's a relationship with God the Father through His Son, and it's a relationship with other believers, and that's universal, whether it's here or in Russia or in Ukraine. That's the kingdom. Thirdly, when we follow Christ... We will be urgent. If you will, look at verse 57. 
And, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and, and the judge hands you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the, the last penny. What is, what is he saying here? He gives us this, this picture of someone who uh, evidently is guilty. Evidently is guilty. And there's someone that has accused them of something. There is something that they are guilty of. So there's the accuser, there's the guilt on this person, and there is a court date. And, and there evidently is evidence stacked up against them. And he's saying, look, wh why are you going to risk it by going to court? Because once you go to court and you sit before the judge, your fate is in the hands of the judge. And if the judge convicts you based on the evidence as it stands, then you are going to prison. And when you go to prison, you are going to pay the penalty, every bit of it for what you've done wrong. He's saying, why would you do that? Here's what he's saying. He's, he's telling them very clearly, settle out of court. That's what he's saying. He says, go quickly to your accuser and you say, hey man, is there some way we can settle this thing? Can we settle it before we go to the judge? What is it a picture of? It's a picture of you standing either in your self-righteousness or in your independence or in your arrogance. It's us standing apart from Christ before a holy God as guilty sinners, and there is nothing that awaits us but the wrath of God in that predicament. He says, go to Christ. Go to Christ who wants to stand with you as a mediator between God and man. Go to Christ who will be your advocate and stand with you when the accusations come and you are declared guilty and the evidence is brought in. No, Christ will stand with you. Go to Christ. Make peace with Christ so that you won't have to stand before the judge. But when you see God, he won't be a judge, but he'll be a father. And he's saying, do it now. You do not know when you will die. See, see the power, and we, and we, you know, we make light of these folks that pressure people at an invitation time. And Jesus is giving an invitation. Jesus is telling one of these stories. It's kind of like this. The preacher gets up and he's preaching and he comes to the end and he said, two years ago I was preaching. There were some kids sitting and listening and they were sitting in the back and they were laughing and making fun. And then they got in the car and on the way home, they had a wreck and they both were killed and they're in eternity now. You're like, Oh man, that might happen to me. What do you think Jesus is doing here? Jesus is saying, you don't know when you're going to die and you'll be standing before the judge. You don't know when I'm coming back. You're not guaranteed to live to 80 or 90. Judgment day might be today for you. And so Jesus says, there needs to be some urgency. You don't need to sit around and say, I've got some great lawyers, or I'm going to just trust the decision of the judge. He's saying, you don't want this thing to go to court. So right now, as quick as you can, why are you sitting around judging for yourselves what is right? You get up right now, you go to your accuser, you settle out of court, 
you trust Christ so that when you die, you won't have to stand before the judge. It is appointed unto man once to die. I've had the privilege of preaching a lot of funerals. I, I say, I've got file cabinets full of stuff. Thank God I've got file cabinets. For those of you that make fun of people with file cabinets, for those of you that make fun of people that write everything down, wait till your computer crashes, right? <laughs> or wait until there is no more electricity. I don't know what we're going to do for electricity without fossil fuels. I don't know where we're going to get it from. It's not coming from your electric car. You can't charge your electric car without fossil fuels. And you can't, charge, you can't have an electric car unless you get cobalt from China. And Russia's already mad at us. And China's going to be mad at us. So the point being, you better write something down. Write something down. And I've got these files that are just full of every sermon I've ever preached. Every single one of them. And here's what I would say. It's appointed unto man once to die. Everybody has an appointment with death. I'm not, I, I can't tell you that I know somebody that's 150 years old. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I know very few people that are, that are over 90 years old. We're all going to die. There, there, there should be some urgency on our part. In light of the fact that we're going to die, there should be some urgency on our part in, in light of the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment. And so when we follow Christ, we will be rejected. When we follow Christ, we will be discerning. When we follow Christ, there, there will be this sense of urgency. Jesus Christ would love to be your mediator between your sinful self and God the Father. Jesus Christ would love to be your lawyer. He would love to be your advocate. He would love to sit with you at the table and as the accuser comes and tells him everything that you did do and I did do. And our advocate says, I paid for that. He has been set free. The judge will say, boom, not guilty. The penalty has been paid in full. The fourth thing we see is this. When we follow Christ, we will be repentant. Jesus tells the story in, in Luke 13. Somebody asked a question about, um, about something that happened to the Galileans when the, the Pilate mixed their blood with sacrifices. Pilate was a ruthless guy. The thought is, if something that bad happens to somebody, they must be bad people. Then he talks about this tower at Siloam. I don't know if it was an engineering error. I don't know if it was a construction error. I don't know if there was an earthquake, but there was a tower that fell, and there were a certain number of people that were killed as a result of that tower falling. And people are like, I'll tell you what, man, when bad things happen to people like that, they must have done something wrong. They must be really sinful people. Those people should have repented. Look at, look at how bad they are. Look at how terrible they are. And Jesus looks at the people that he's talking to and he's saying, you people think you're good? You think you don't need to repent? He said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. What does it mean to perish? You could go to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, and he talks about uh, there is one who is coming that can not only kill the body, but who can separate you from God for all eternity. It can cast your soul into hell. That's what it means to perish. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's easy to sit around and talk about what everybody else is doing wrong. But if we're following Christ, we're repentant. I'll be honest with you. 
My list of my sins is so long that I don't know if before I die, I will be able to deal with everything that's going on in my life before I start sitting around and making a list of your junk and thinking you need to repent. That, that is, that is uh, profoundly revolutionary when it comes to relationships because, listen, we're a whole lot lighter on ourselves than we are on others. Jesus says if we're going to follow him, we will be repentant. We will turn from our sin and to him. Fifthly and finally, when we follow Christ, we will be, we will be fruitful. We see that in verses 6 to 9. When he uses the term here in this text, particularly for the fig tree, he is talking about Israel. And that which is unfruitful is... Israel. And the, the, the master is coming. Let me, let me read through. Uh, whoever um, had this fig tree planted in his vineyard goes out. He's looking for fruit on the tree. Where is Israel's fruit? Where is the fruit, he's saying, in this context of these people that he came to, his own, the Jewish People. He's saying, I don't see any fruit. I don't see any fruit. Cut the tree down. What is he saying to the Jewish people? And what is he saying to us? Our time for repentance may be running out. Again, this, this, this is the pressure. This is Jesus coming and saying to the people, you need to do something. You need to do something. You, you need to repent. You need to be discerning. There needs to be urgency. But you need to look at your life and ask yourself if there is fruit in your life. Because if there is not fruit, and you can go to John chapter 15, and he talks extensively about fruit in John chapter 15. The thing that we need to consider for us from this text, number one, is this, that, that we, we don't all of a sudden decide, you know, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. No, he's, he said, no, you, you, you don't know the window for repentance. The window for turning to Christ is small. Evidently, whoever's tending this plant for this man said, let's wait a while. Let's try to get some life out of it. But the owner said, let's go ahead and cut this thing down. It's not bearing any fruit now. Just some things that we can use for application. The test of genuine faith is a fruitful life. The, the test of genuine faith is a fruitful life life. So, so if we follow Christ, there will be fruit in our life. But what is fruit? How do we know what fruit is? Fruit is life. Fruit is connection to God as a life source. Fruit is connection to the Trinity. We are sons of God, the Father. Christ, who is our life is living in us. We are filled with God, indwelt by the Spirit 
of God. So fruit is spiritual, it is practical, and again, it is, it is relational. So we see this need for fruit in my life and in your life, but we see it spelled out in Galatians chapter 5. And he makes it clear what the fruit is. And we need to ask ourselves if we say that we have a relationship with Christ and the Spirit of God is living in us, is this fruit flowing out of us in our relationship with other people? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is standing before the people that he has come to to reach with the good news of the gospel, to be their Messiah, to set them free, and they are completely ambivalent to who he is, and in fact, will end up rejecting him and crucifying him, and he is saying that you are an unfruitful people. The people of God are an unfruitful people. That is an oxymoron. Those who say they know Christ must be a fruitful people. Fruit is life that God's Spirit produces in us that flows out of us, and it is the glue that connects those who are in the kingdom together. It is the energy of the believer that produces life, and that life is visible, it is practical, it is relational, it is tangible, it is powerful, it is transformational, it, comp it, it is comprehensive, it encompasses every area of our life. Where there is real faith, there will be real fruit. A fruitless life will not be accepted into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, your dead religion will not save you. It will not save you. Turn to Christ now. Bear fruit, Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist preaching, that is meat for repentance. Let, let your life be a reflection of fruit. And, and I'll, go to, I'll go to John 15 where uh, Jesus is uh, talking about fruit and look at verse number, number 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So there is this fruit that is flowing out of us. When you follow Christ, you will be rejected. When you follow Christ, you will be discerning. When you follow Christ, there will be some measure of urgency in your life. When you follow Christ, you will be repentant. When you follow Christ, you will be fruitful. Um some application for us as we leave. Number one, um, prepare for persecution if you are following Christ. It's coming. Prepare for persecution if you are following Christ. And um, probably you need to think in terms of not um, 
avoiding persecution. If you're figuring out a way to avoid persecution, there's probably a good chance that you're not following Christ. So prepare for persecution. Make sure that you are willing to face the cost of following Jesus Christ. Because division will come and persecution will come. When we follow Christ, we will be rejected. Now, I'm not asking you to go out and be belligerent. I'm not asking you to go out and be repugnant. I'm not asking you to go out and be a know-it-all. I'm not asking you to go out and be a Pharisee. I'm telling you to go out in the fruit of the Spirit and let the fruit of the Spirit flow out of you, but be prepared when it flows out, even in the most gracious and loving and serving ways, there is going to be rejection because there is something in the heart of that person that wants to eliminate anything that is bringing them shame, who is staying in their sin, and they think that we're the source of their shame. They think that we're the source of their guilt because we stand on the authority of God's Word and say, this is what's true, as loving as we can. And they think, I've got to eliminate the church. I've got to eliminate this Christian. I've got to eliminate these people that think that I'm in sin so I can feel better about my sin, but there's still going to be conviction and shame until we Cast our sin and shame on Christ. So prepare for persecution. Secondly, I would love for you to just think about what you're doing as it relates to church or as it relates to the kingdom. Why do you... Um, why do you go to the church that you go to? Why do you do the things that you do that you think comprise um, what it means to be a Christian. Think about it. Again, because we may be good at everything else and not good at discerning when the kingdom is standing right in front of us. And we may be doing a lot of exercises that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, but thinking that's the kingdom. And that's where we're putting our energy because we just like to kind of operate on autopilot, particularly in the realm of our spiritual lives. Now, my money, no, I don't want to be on autopilot there. I'm checking my retirement account every day, Right? Our health, no, we've got all kind of meters. We can check our health right there on our phone, split second. No, I, I don't want to put that on autopilot. My medication, no, I don't want to put it on uh, autopilot. I don't want to do that. My, my car, I don't want to put it on autopilot. I've got all kind of idiot lights, and it's telling me everything that's going on, and so I'm going to make sure that I take care of it. If anything's going on with my dwelling or anything that I own, I don't want that on autopilot, but I want my spiritual life on autopilot. I want my eternal life on autopilot. I don't want to think about it. And I'm asking you to think about it. I'm asking you this morning as we close to evaluate your heart and your life and ask yourself, are you truly discerning? Are you a part of a kingdom that emphasizes the beauty of our relationship with Jesus Christ and the beauty of our relationship with each other? Now is the time to turn to Christ. Stop self-justifying. Stop blaming others. Now is the time to turn to Christ with urgency. He's saying there must be urgency. Don't wait until you're standing before the judge before you just say, oops, I want to trust Christ now. Feel the repugnancy of your sin and, re and repent. 
It's easy to look at the folks whose blood was mingled with the sacrifice. It's easy to look at folks who had a car accident. It's easy to look at folks who had a special need child and say, what did they do wrong? Oh, look at those folks out there and all the sin they're doing. It's terrible. I hate this world. It's so repugnant. <laughs> Do you see that on TV? Do you see that Adidas commercial? You see that stuff about transgenderism? Ah, so repugnant. He's saying, hey, would you look inside of you? Could you find your sin repugnant? Could we find our sin repugnant and repent of our sin? Instead of feeling just a little bit better than those people that are doing the big sins in the world? And then finally, is there fruit in your life? Is there fruit in your life? He's, he's looking for fruit. He, he comes in where he lives, there is life. Where he lives, there is water. Where he lives, there is fruit. And that fruit is going to come out of us. Is there fruit in your life? And that fruit will manifest itself predominantly in how we relate to each other. That's why, that's why I'd love for you to find somebody to share the gospel with. I'd love for you to find somebody why? Because they need what you have. Whatever it is they're drinking, whatever it is they're eating, whatever it is they're sniffing, whatever it is they're inhaling, whatever it is they're ingesting, it's killing them. And we have life. And we have life. That's fruit flowing out of us. And so I would encourage you as you follow Christ to examine the fruit that's in your life. Are you life-giving? Do people want to be around you or do people just like see you on caller ID and like, oh no, what's fixing, what's fixing to happen now? The hammer fixing to fall. The judgment's fixing to fall. Somebody's got a problem. Somebody's got a complaint. Oh no. Or, or are they like, man, fruit's just flowing out of that guy. Fruit's flowing out of that lady. Life's flowing out of them. I'm, I'm, experiencing the power of God as I interact because there is fruit in their life. If you know Christ, pray for those who don't. And if you don't know Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you need to repent. Today is the day that you need to come to the advocate and escape the accuser. Today is the day that you can enter into the family and experience the Father and not the judge. And if you come to Christ, it's going to change how you go out in the world. But if you don't know Christ, I, I beg you, call upon the name of the Lord. I beg you, repent of your sin. I beg you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him this morning.